Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to Smoke Show. This is Claire. It's been two weeks. So let's just jump right in uh, because that's that's what I like to do here because I've listened to too many fucking Mark Maron podcasts where I've had to be like eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, still talking. Got it, Mark. And look, Mark Maron, it's his thing. It's great that he's got such a strong brand now that him talking about himself for 10 minutes up top is not seen as anything but like part of it. But ooh, can't do it. Welcome back. Uh, This is now a Wednesday podcast because I don't work on Wednesdays and I realize that making myself wake up at like 4.30 sometimes on a Tuesday. Sorry, cracking a Celsius. Uh, I bought them on Amazon day, something I do not regularly participate in, but they were half price and they're quite good. I'm not really a huge fan of energy drinks, but I just feel like I need something right now today. Um, And what we're about to get into... I'm really, really um, not like excited to talk about, but I think there's a lot to say about it and quite a few angles. And it's kind of a collision of a lot of things that I have a lot of opinions on. But first, I just want to. Yeah. So podcast is now going to be on Wednesdays. Newsletter comes out Fridays. I like to give myself a lot to do in those two days at the end of the week. But basically, I took the week off of my birthday and that was planned. I was like maybe going to do a thing and then I recorded it and I just didn't like it. And I have realized that forcing myself to edit something that I actually don't like and know that I don't like is bad for me because it just makes me spend time with media that I've created that I'm not proud of. And then it makes me more nervous to put out media that I am proud of. Anyway, uh, this is the first time that this has ever happened to me. But basically, I didn't record on the correct microphone. I recorded with my computer instead of with my blue snowball. And the audio was unusable, which is a bummer because I actually really like the content. I was trying out something a little bit different, but I also tried out that something kind of different with the newsletter last week. And I didn't like how it turned out because what I realized is I was actually trying to recover from my vulnerability hangovers that I enacted upon myself by making myself write some like sincerely deep personal shit that I don't regularly talk about in public. And I think the illusion of me is that I'm super fucking vulnerable when really I just don't find the topics that people regularly find super vulnerable, difficult to talk about. I find other things very difficult to talk about, especially publicly because I feel a lot of pressure on making sure that I'm saying or writing the right thing. And with writing, you get even less of a chance to really explain yourself. So it's important. Anyway, so (laughs) I've had a vulnerability hangover. The month of September has been hard for me content-wise. I have not loved anything I've put out, but saying that feels bad because it's like, if you've listened to something I've put out and you've enjoyed it, then am I like negating your taste? And it's like, no, I'm just being overly critical of myself. So anyway, today we're going to talk about the Try Guys. (laughs) And um, Ned Fulmer, uh, full name, full government name here apparently today. Ned Fulmer's uh, quick fall from grace. I think Ned kind of like invented being a wife guy for Gen Z and like, I, I, okay, <laughs> let's, let's start at the beginning of very good place to start. And one, um, I tend to skip over context. So let me give you some of that up top. <laughs> so the Try Guys are a group of four internet personalities. They became internet personalities while working at BuzzFeed and while filming the original Try Guys series, which took place on BuzzFeed's YouTube channels. If you were not on YouTube when the BuzzFeed takeover happened, if you were just kind of like not paying attention and the thing about BuzzFeed that you know is like their listicle and articles and the millennial way of writing their stuff that became kind of the millennial voice, which like really sucks because it's really just a marketing voice. And now I'm so sick of reading like, I bet you didn't know or like the 500 things we cannot live without from Target and like BuzzFeed 
has absolutely declined in quality, declined in journalistic integrity. Uh, Jonah Peretti, brother of Chelsea Peretti, is the owner of BuzzFeed. He's a union buster. He's a an all around like not great boss. And I don't think he actually cared about the quality of media he was producing. I think he just wanted to become a media empire and he did. And then he destroyed it. And the YouTube in particular has always been this very watched thing. Like so many people's eyeballs were on that fucking YouTube. And there was a trend for a while in YouTube videos of why I left BuzzFeed. And I have consumed every single one of those videos. And what I can tell you from the patterns and trends that I have noticed that people talk about as to why they left BuzzFeed is that they were forced to create IP that they really, really cared about and treasured and prized because I can't imagine being a 25-year-old and having access to a bunch of audio and film equipment and then having to give up your greatest idea and then having that idea stolen from you by a major corporation, even though you have been the sole content producer for it. So that kept happening to people. People would get big and then they would ask for money or they would like they would be in seeking a promotion or something. BuzzFeed tanked a lot of stuff that was working for them on purpose just to keep people under their thumbs. So there's a whole back like there's a whole thing happening at BuzzFeed. But the guys, the try guys were this group of four guys. They consist of. Keith, um, he is tall and goofy and uh, my favorite of the Try Guys. He's a stoner and he talks about it. And his wife and him have a nice seeming relationship from what they have presented to us online. But we'll get into why that's not fucking anything really to do any information with. But Keith seems like a nice guy. He's got a big like theater kid acapella boy personality. And those are the type of guys that I tend to vibe with and hang out with. So I've always been like, yeah, I can smoke with Keith. Then there's um, Zach, who's um, whatever. Zach's energy is never. I don't like watching Zach in videos. I often feel like he's quite a try hard of a person because I think Zach thinks he should be really cool. But then because he thinks that and he just is not really a tastemaker in the way that I think he wants to be. I don't like Zach's videos. Anyway, this is not to bash them all as like individual people. And then there's Eugene. Eugene was like beloved. He was by far the most popular try guy when they were at BuzzFeed. And Eugene is also the only non-white member. Eugene is an Asian person who grew up in Texas and he is extremely attractive. And until like four years ago, he was not out as gay. And him coming out was a huge deal. There was some stuff with Eugene, especially at BuzzFeed, where his alcoholism was like made kind of like cute in the content. And that always really concerned me. So it's not that the Try Guys have ever been without concern before for like what they're putting out, but like in general, they're pretty wholesome videos. They're, the name really gives it away. They would like try different things and sometimes they were silly goofy, but I do think that like a lot of their very successful videos often had kind of like, not a feminist lens, but like I think the thing, the thing you have to understand about YouTube and the men who succeed on YouTube are that the men who succeed most are sexually non-threatening. And I feel like I've touched on this before, but yeah, let's get into it because this explains the Try Guys very thoroughly. I think there's a lot of people online going like, I don't know what a Try Guy is. And I also think that there's a little bit with the internet whenever shit like this happens where people are really quick to dismiss it because it's very like, it's, I call it like the social media intern phenomenon where like nobody takes the internet seriously despite the fact that super fucking serious things happen on the internet all the time. Like, we had a genocide that completely originated on Facebook and we don't seem to be taking that seriously because we're like, oh, but it's funny that my aunt can't use a computer and sometimes posts a picture upside down. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a different thing than the fact that like Facebook didn't hire translators. And so they allowed an entire genocide to be planned on their platform. Um, and the trying 
<laughs> the Try Guys, um, are a group of dudes who just sexually non-threatening does not mean gay. It doesn't mean that they're not sexual or like that they didn't do things that were like somewhat playing in that area. Like the Try Guys often tried on Halloween costumes or wore thongs, like things like that. But it was always like silly, goofy, happy. You weren't really... I don't think there was ever like a drive to make you like... Ah, uh, like there's no like there's no horniness to a Try Guys video. <laughs> there's literally none. Even the ones where there could be, there isn't. There, it's not that they're asexual. It's just that they're non-sexual. You know what I mean? Like they can make jokes. They're adults. They're like they're I think a little bit older than me. Like and so it just it. But they always felt very safe. I think that that is like a big part of their brand is that they're pretty family friendly. Even after leaving BuzzFeed, the least family friendly things that they've done are kind of talk about their weed and alcohol consumption, but it's like they live in California where both of those things are legal, so it really doesn't matter. Eugene's alcohol consumption, again, used to be kind of like a thing that they always joked about, but I always was kind of worried about, and a lot of people speculated on Eugene's sexuality before he was out about it, and so I think that had a lot to do with kind of the jokiness with which they treated his clear alcohol abuse. Uh, so anyway, the Try Guys, that's who they are. They started at BuzzFeed. They stayed around for quite a bit longer than a lot of other BuzzFeed creators, especially people that they had like collaborated with. Um, Keith and this other guy who I never, I didn't watch a lot of BuzzFeed content, to be honest. I watched more like tasty videos than I would say anything else. And again, I did watch the Try Guys. I do want to say like the Try Guys and me timeline, I would occasionally watch their videos. I was never like a diehard fan, I don't think, or anything like that. Again, like to keep the most my um, time to be like, I knew about pop culture before pop culture. The first time I ever saw Keith, which I only realized like years later, is when that trend of shit blank people say was going around. Keith in his college, I guess, or like maybe post-grad was in like a theater improv group and they did a sketch called Shit Founding Fathers Say. And he was really funny in that. And I don't think any of those other guys have ever gone on to a career. But every time I, I every time I saw Keith, I kept being like, wow, he's really familiar. And then I found out why. And I was like, oh, my God, it all comes together. So put shit on the Internet. People might find it. So BuzzFeed, they stuck around. Then they left. They seem to leave pretty amicably with BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is actually an investor in their business, which is um, Second Try Productions. Great name, guys. Um, so they left BuzzFeed. It was, pr- it was, but BuzzFeed definitely had like a bank of videos that they were still rolling out for a little while. And then they launched their channel and their channel took off overnight. Like people were really excited that they got out from under BuzzFeed's thumb because I just think that we as the audience were kind of primed to see BuzzFeed as a place that you took your IP and ran if you could. And basically, I think what happened with BuzzFeed and why they were really amicable in the split is they really wanted that IP. I could not imagine if they hadn't gotten the Try Guys that they would have been nearly as successful. I think they probably would have made a lot of jokes about how they should, you know, like, but it wouldn't have been the same. And so they, I think, were one of the most subscribed to channels ever in the first 24 hours after it launched. And that was a really big deal. But also an important thing to know about YouTube is all the other fucking YouTubers hated BuzzFeed because they were such a content farm, but it was low quality content. And what I really think is interesting looking back at BuzzFeed is how that was really a harbinger of like millennials want fun workplaces. Like BuzzFeed is a place that this is getting into stuff uh, that will come back around later. But like BuzzFeed really didn't seem to have a lot of HR. I'll be honest. It was a pretty unprofessional workplace. I think that like millennials were really duped by tech into accepting 
really unprofessional work standards because it's easier to exploit people who don't have a great sense of office boundaries or work boundaries or the appropriate things that happen at an office, Um, especially when you're making videos in which people's personality is the driving point of the video. And so you're revealing a lot of private stuff about you. But also like there's a there's an old BuzzFeed video that I remember that was just like this guy got body painted and walked around the office. And at one point, a girl's talking to him and she's like, I'm so sorry, your dick is fully out. And it's like, yeah, that's not okay. You actually can't show up to your office completely nude and not give people um, warning about that and then film them. And I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, but they could have said no. And it's like, yeah, have you ever tried to say no at your job when it's just like a fun, like, oh, don't be, don't be so uptight. Um, That's a hard thing to say no to, you know? So I always thought the BuzzFeed was just an extremely unprofessional workplace, but it was also like open concept in a way that like is a literal nightmare. These people were trying to write articles and like all of the people who worked at BuzzFeed would complain about like the churn articles that you'd have to create because they were just an SEO farm for a long time. So they'd have to create these like, top five tips articles and they got more and more inane as you ran out of good shit to talk about because there's only so much to really say on the internet and everything has been said a thousand times so they finally left buzzfeed it was pretty amicable um and the the fourth try guy who i didn't name because he's who the episode is going to be about is ned ned was definitely the most like preppy i think he was definitely one of the oldest he was not at buzzfeed most of their jobs were creative i think zach um, Ned and er, Zach, Keith and Eugene's jobs were more in the creative specter and they were all kind of like producers and things like that. And Ned was more captain of the interns. He was like more of a serious role there. Ned also has the most like prized formal education of all of them because he went to Yale and he was there for science. So I just feel like they tried to really sell Ned as like he's the business guy. He's the serious one. And the four of them were grouped together basically because BuzzFeed went around the office and was like, who's willing to try this? And then those four guys showed up and they were like, great. And then their chemistry was good. So they kept having to make shit. And Ned's whole thing from the very beginning was that he was married and he was a wife guy. And I think Ned actually really helped invent wife with a wife guy with a capital W and a capital G because he talked, there were so many super cuts about him loving his wife. People would leave comments with like, Ned mentions his wife eight times in this video. Like it became a meme. It became a known thing inside. It was something to look out for. And people I think really underestimate the value of that kind of Easter egg with a fandom. But I think when Graveyard Girl was having her channel like relapse, redux thing after the Shane Dawson documentary kind of fucked her over and her channel was already falling apart. So it's not, that's actually not something we can blame on Shane Dawson. There's a lot of other YouTube shit we can, but um, you know, she was sitting there going like, it's hard when I take a sip of my Starbucks to not feel like I have to do this action that became, I became known for that was a natural action. She used to like take a sip and then go like, ah, sippy sip or something. I don't, I didn't fucking watch her videos, but I was really interested in watching her talk about the dissolution of one of the largest YouTube channels at one time. Anyway, um, she started being like, I don't want to have to be like a character, but then if I don't do it, people leave comments about it. And it's like, right, because you can't be everything to everybody. And the internet expects that all the time because viewers are more and more selfish because we're catered to more and more often. And so when we see something that we don't agree with or we're like, like, um, <laughs> I got rid of TikTok, but YouTube shorts are still around. And so sometimes I'll find myself scrolling through that. And I'm like, this is even worse than TikTok because the algorithm doesn't even know me that well. And so I'll get shit that I'm like, why does YouTube think I want this? 
why is YouTube trying to push me on an alt-right pipeline basically right now? And it's because that's how they know they'll make money. So I just have to scroll away as quickly as possible because I know that engaging even a little bit and stuff like that makes more of it pop up. It makes YouTube think that this is a monetizable thing to get your eyeballs on because they just want your eyeballs on it. And they know that controversy is the best way to do that, which is why everything is controversy nowadays. And you can just look at the Skims kimono thing for more evidence on that. So they leave. Ned is known as a wife guy. And I think we're about to get into it. But basically, the scandal is <laughs> 20 minutes into this fucking episode. The scandal is that Ned was found to have been cheating on his wife with whom he has two children and their uh, whole family brand on the side of him. We'll get into that. He was found to be cheating on his wife with an employee. It's not just an employee. He is one of the founders of the company. And so she is a subordinate no matter which way you slice it. Now, cheating's been in the news a lot. I have a lot to say about cheating. Unsurprisingly. (laughs) Um... And I just think that this situation is genuinely, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for everybody involved, particularly for that wife and those kids. Because now when they Google their dad, this comes up for the rest of time. It, it Ned can do other things, but this is still a findable thing. And I just cannot imagine having my parents' affair be something that the internet was speculating on. And not just that the internet was speculating on millions of people on the internet. People are finding out who the Try Guys are because of this drama. Because there's a bunch of people now going like, well, you shouldn't be fired for cheating on your wife. And it's like, hmm. Yeah, that's fair. If there's no like morality, like there's a lot of like morality clauses in a lot of contracts. There are plenty of jobs that you sign that you have to sign another thing saying that you won't have any indiscretions that could embarrass the company. This is clearly something that would embarrass the company. But also it opens them up to a large legal issue because she is a subordinate and she, you know, if it was a non-consensual relationship in any sense or form, the entire company goes down. And this company isn't just four people. There's a huge team of people who work with them. The Try Guys have really taken their like, we do YouTube videos and created an entire brand. They do tours. They have a documentary. They do a podcast every week. Not only do they do a podcast, they made their wives and girlfriends into a brand. So there's the Try Wives. And that's Keith's wife and Ned's wife. So Ned's wife is not just like some random abstract concept that we know about. It's not like how Hank Green used to call his wife or was it John Green that used to call his wife the Yeti? Yeah. John Green used to call his wife the Yeti and she literally never appeared on camera. And so it created this kind of like people wanted to know what she looked like. But she was like a very serious person and was like, please don't show me on your YouTube to millions of people. And he respected that. Um, so Ariel is not just like a random lady who we have heard of. She is like a character on the thing. She is in the universe. And not only are she, is she like kind of in this separate thing called the Triwives, she and Ned have their own kind of lifestyle brand together. They have a cookbook together. They had like, they did tours at colleges talking about healthy relationships. So all of those photos are coming in now and it doesn't look good. Um, They were really trying to, like, create kind of a brand within a brand about their relationship. And, like, that's been a really big centerpiece. So it's not just some random fucking thing that we shouldn't know this much about. They've made their marriage our business by presenting it to the world in the ways that they have and by monetizing it in the ways that they have. And I think that this is one of those things. It's like this is why becoming a brand is really dangerous. Because when you're your brand, your life is your brand. And you can't be the wife guy of the Try Guys and cheat on your wife really publicly and not only just cheat on your wife. Like, it's not just like he got caught having, like, making out with the employee. 
they had an affair. They got caught in multiple cities in America. People were identifying them by like outfits that people like I saw a tweet that was like, how do you people understand like know what shirt this guy was wearing? You need to get lives. And I'm like, no, he took a photo earlier that night with a fan. This is this is not people on Twitter who don't know who the Try Guys are do not understand how famous YouTube celebrities can be, particularly to the younger generation. And so they don't understand that for for many people, seeing Ned from the Try Guys would have been the equivalent of seeing like Jonathan Taylor Thomas during Tool Times, you know, whatever Home Improvement, what the fuck, whatever that show was actually called. Um, and so it's this th- it's this very dismissive attitude. And again, it's that like, oh, the, so- the gay social media interns really having a time because somebody played Carly Rae Jepsen on NPR once. And then the guy who actually picked it was like, hi, just so you know, I am gay, but I am like a 40 year old audio engineer who does this for a living. We don't let interns do shit. This is a very serious station. It's like, yeah, I think social media gets treated as like, oh, the social media intern tweeted something stupid. And it's like, no, no, no. Nine people sat around in a boardroom and brainstormed that fucking tweet, which is what makes it extra fucking embarrassing when tweets go wrong from corporations. Also, corporations shouldn't have Twitter. So anyway, yesterday, shit hit the fan. (laughs) So the scandal is basically that Ned and the subordinate, whose name is Alex, who has not said anything publicly since this broke, but her ex-fiance is definitely the one who spread all of this online um, or was the leak that, uh, you know, kind of got the ball rolling on this because this has been in the works for over a month. And I think savvy people knew something was coming down the line, which is really interesting. Okay, before we get into this, I'm going to take another one. Okay, <laughs> so yesterday, um, so what happened was Ned and Alex were caught in both New York City and Las Vegas together alone, and there's video of them making out. Now, should this video have been posted? No. Should that video have been taken? No. These people are public figures, but they were not living their life on their public figure terms. They were just in a bar in Vegas. And like, look, here's the thing. Um, people are allowed to fuck up and make mistakes, but, um, once is cheating, twice is more than that. (laughs) And it sounds like he, in his apology statement, said it was a consensual relationship, which is very HR-based language, right? Because, like, you can't say an affair because that sounds really gross. And he doesn't want to say, like, I cheated on my wife with somebody because, like, again, that opens you up to stuff. And so consensual consensual is a big part of that um, because she can't sue them. And relationship is a big part of that because he doesn't want to say what it was and relationship is ambiguous enough. But relationship to me is, like, a much bigger deal. That's a, that's a full-on affair. He's admitting to having an affair. So should we have seen that footage of them making out? No but that's what receipts culture it requires. So that that's why that exists. So that's bad. Um, but apparently what the fans noticed at the beginning of September is that Ned was being edited out of a lot of stuff. He wasn't in the opening credits, which is a big deal. There's four of them. There's four colors in the Try Guys, and there was three guys in the opening credits. And the only successful... <laughs> That's mean. Um, the only videos that I will occasionally still watch from this channel, because like I, you know, it's just it's it's a little bit too young of an audience for me to stay engaged with it all the time. But I do enjoy Keith as like a personality um, is Keith's eat the menu. So I guess recently I haven't watched this one, but recently he did one where he ate everything at Caesar's Palace Buffet. And at the beginning, they were really hyping it up, saying it was going to be the biggest one ever. And then it wasn't the longest one ever. And people kept saying, like, they missed a huge portion 
of the buffet because people know these things and because they have such a large audience. And basically what came out is like they must have edited all of Ned's sections out, but also all of Alex's because Alex was not just a random employee who nobody knew about that like somebody had to be like, oh my God, I think that's his employee. Alex is an on-camera personality and producer. I think she was one of the first or second hires at this company. She was a former BuzzFeed girl as well. And um, she has a whole thing during Eat the Menu where she and this other girl are call themselves the food babies and their whole thing is that they eat a lot. Fine, whatever. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's girls that eat. It's this. It's the Hillary Duff in A Cinderella Story when he, when Shai Michael Murray's like, would you rather have a salad or a Big Mac? She's like, mm-hmm, a Big Mac. And you're like, you are literally wearing the smallest dress known to man. Like, what? What are we doing here? It's great. Eat a Big Mac. I'm not saying girls shouldn't eat a Big Mac. I'm just saying it's fucking weird to pressure teenagers and... Um, the depiction of thin women eating a ton of food and staying thin is something that we really revel in culture. And I would just like to point out that if either of the food babies was fat, it wouldn't be acceptable to do online, um, which is the problem. It's not a problem that they're thin and eating. That's great. The problem is that um, their thinness protects them in a way that encourages fat phobia. Like, okay, I need to actually be much more specific about what I mean there, because otherwise I'm going to get to the edit and be like, that's not what you mean to say. If they if the food babies were eating as much as they were on camera and noticeably gaining weight, there would be a much bigger discussion around it. But because they're both very thin girls, it's like a cool thing that they like to eat that much. Do you know what I mean? I guess just like reflect on what you think the comment section would look like if either of these girls were over a size six probably not the same. It wouldn't be received the same way. And that's diet culture and that's fat phobia. And it's not on these two girls that that's the thing, but it's just something that icked me. Um, yeah, let's just call it that. I don't have to blame them for society's ills and fat phobia. Anyway, back to the, back to Alex. She, uh, was engaged to someone and really uh, like early on yesterday, I woke up and this was already trending on Twitter, which really set me off. Cause I, it's, I wake up early. It's wild for me to have like missed something overnight, but basically it seems like Alex's ex fiance, cause she was affianced when having an affair with her boss released text messages or DMs or something that somebody had sent him with proof that Alex was cheating on him. Now, that's shitty. The internet should not be telling you that your significant other is cheating on you. That's a really big deal. But it looks like that this this has been known for like a month within the company. There's an interesting thing where there seems to be, the discord seems to be where all of this really came from. There is allegedly a DM from Zach to the mods saying, it's okay, let people speculate, it's fine. And so it left the discord, came to Reddit. People start posting on Reddit being like, well, here's all the evidence that we know so far. Here's all the things that we've rounded up from people saying and like, He's been edited out of this. Alex hasn't been seen in this. The beginning is different. That's a big red flag. And then people start going to their Twitters and they start going to their Instagrams and they're saying, okay, well, YB, who's the other half of Food Babies, is no no longer following Alex. And that was the information that tipped me over the edge that I was like, okay, it's absolutely true. which is so small. Um, And then it just, it consumed the internet yesterday. So I want to talk about, I think, why it consumed the internet. Because it's not just that this person had a quote-unquote consensual relationship with an employee and then was fired over. People are like, you can't fire somebody for cheating. And it's like, you know, again, that morality clause but also like, his brand is being married and being a good (laughs) husband. And the the fucked up thing is like, that's... um, 
making yourself your brand is a really risky thing to do. And the high risk, high reward scenario is what he's been playing in for the last few years. He took a lot of risks by making his marriage the centerpiece of his personality and his money making because his marriage was what was making him money, his personal branding and bringing his wife and his kids and his fucking doodle dog. I could have red flag right there. Red flag into the mix is a huge thing. And the risk is really high because if anything happens, you are now a public couple. And I don't know why you'd ever, ever want to be a public couple. Like Haley Bieber went on Call Her Daddy. Not going to listen to either. I've never listened to a single episode of Call Her Daddy and I will not be starting now. But Haley Bieber, every single time she has to talk about her relationship with Justin, it just does not come off well because she seems really fucking defensive because she has to be because she's in a super public relationship with someone who had a super public relationship before her that people really felt invested in for some fucking reason. And like the Selena Justin timeline is nuts. And I will link a timeline thing that um, I have not read all the way through. And then if you are interested in a Selena Justin deep dive, I do recommend the Dunzo podcast podcast with Troy McGeady. It's a fantastic deep dive. Do I think that he did minimal fucking background research on his research? Yeah, it's definitely biased against Selena. This is absolutely timelines written by Justin Bieber fans, but you know what? It's fucking interesting. Anyway, being in a public relationship seems like a fucking nightmare. I am obsessed with YouTube breakup videos. Not in like a real way anymore, but like three or four years ago, I could have given you a rundown of like who had the best ones. It's David Dobrik. I'm so sorry, but we have to talk about how David Dobrik and Liza completely changed the YouTube breakup landscape. So it used to be that couples would break up and then like a month later, people would start putting all the puzzle pieces together and it would take, you know, the comment section would be taken up because comments used to be like a real place that people interacted. They acted like a message board and not just like the worst um, container for the most disgusting thoughts anybody's ever typed into their keyboard on the internet. YouTube comments used to be a top tier place to get information. It is a bummer what they became. YouTube should have hired more mods. Anyway, Um, so people would start putting it together and then people would have to make these videos of like, it would be them alone in the room explaining to the audience that yes, they broke up. They're not going to talk about why, or they would talk about why sometimes the dude would post one and then the girl would get really pissed off thinking about Alex Day, who later was added as like a very abusive boyfriend slash like mm, predator. I don't, it, that, yeah. Anyway, um, he didn't have like super harsh allegations come out against him. It was more like he made me feel uncomfortable and he definitely had a thing for 16 year olds, but in England, 16 is the age of consent. So there was like a weird thing there. Anyway, he once made a video basically being like, yeah, me and Christina broke up. And then Christina made a video being like, I flew to England to meet him in person after being like in an online relationship that they were both making a ton of clout money off of for like eight months. And he dumped me. And then I had to go find like make friends basically to like stay with in the country. And it ruined my entire summer vacation to Europe that he was supposed to go on with me. And it like it was the first red, big red flag that everybody should have seen about. Naraman, I think his fucking thing was. So um, YouTube breakups have been a thing for as long as YouTube couples have been a thing. And that happened so early on because one of the best ways to grow your channel was to collab. People really liked, people like seeing the inside. I talked way too much one time about Miss Glamorazzi and Luke Connard's relationship. That was a huge boon for both of theirs. Luke Connard also dated that same Christina and their breakup had a bunch of big red flags because she entered into a musical business relationship with him as well. Oh God. So complicated. So YouTube has always had public couples and the public breakups, but it used to be that they'd make separate videos and basically be like, we don't hate each other. Don't send anybody hate. It's fine. And then David Dobrik, king of fucking YouTube. 
he is a bad person, but he is good at the internet. Um, <laughs> David Dobrik and Liza were one of the biggest couples on YouTube. They came over from Vine. People really liked them separately. I think it was a shock to know that they were together. They were very, I, neither of them have had a public relationship since then. So I think that speaks a lot to what they went through in being a public relationship. But the most charming parts of David's videos for a really long time were just like these clips that he would have of Liza, like, cause she got so big so fast and he was still like a really big on YouTube, but not hitting the mainstream success the way she was. So it would be clips of her dancing or them going to target together and just like fucking around. And a lot of those clips don't hold up because she's doing a lot of offensive accents in them. But like, it's that thing of like, that's what the internet was at the time. This is what people fell in love with. It was charming. I didn't know about David Dobrik until way later, but their, their breakup video was actually the first video of his I ever watched. They were together. They were together in a room crying on camera about how much they still love and care about each other, but how they just can't be together right now because it doesn't make sense and it's not it's not like um, healthy or whatever, which is fascinating. It's a really good thing to show to their very young audience that you can still be really civil and have a lot of hard emotions about a breakup, but He's privated it now, so you can't. I'm sure that there are re-uploads of it on the internet because I I feel like it's somebody out there's like comfort video of like breakups can be good, and that's the thing. I think breakups are good. I think break like it just depends on how you do it. I think if one person can no longer be healthy in a relationship, a breakup is necessary. It's not a punishment for the other person. It's just a separation because it no longer serves both people in the relationship or however many people are in the relationship to be in that relationship in that form anymore. I think that there are so many ways we relate to each other and romantic entanglements are just one of them. And also there are people who are sexual, but not romantic or romantic, but not sexual. There's so many different types of ways we can interact with each other. And it's just so limiting to think that the only relationship that you can have with somebody is either friendship or like a super heavy monogamous relationship that is going to last forever. And I think we also view the amount of time you're with somebody as the relationship having more value. And I just don't think that that's true because I think there are people that I've been extremely close with within a few weeks. And there are people who I've known for years who I've never shared things with, you know? So like every single relationship is different. There is a form and function of every single relationship. Sometimes I think I would look for like a bigger meaning. I used to narrativize my life a lot. And so I look for a bigger meaning of like, why did this person enter my life? And like at one time I was having a really hard time with somebody that I had been friends with who had really fucking hurt me. And somebody pointed out that through that friend, I had met another best friend. And that person still meant a lot to me. And it, that relationship was so valuable and just g gave me and like a whole new way of looking at the world and all this stuff. And they were like, you know, well, maybe that was the purpose of the first friend. It was your relationship with that person was not meant to be the end all be all, but you were meant to be in their lives because without them, you wouldn't have met this other person. And I think that we view relationships on this kind of like hierarchical scale of like how much that somebody means to you. And I think this is something that like fucked with me for years. There was a fucking, one of the most watched videos on YouTube at the very beginning was this girl and her name was Mimi Molly. And that's how you can tell that it was the beginning of the internet because now um, that would be pronounced meme Molly. And she had this video that was just, are you anybody's favorite person? And everybody freaked the fuck out. And that's a bad question. That's a bad question to be reflecting on. I don't think anybody likes the answer to that question. It just, it reduces people into this, like, I always think of best friend as a tier and not a ranking. Like I have friends and then I have best friends. <laughs> 
I don't know that many friends. I have a lot of best friends. You know what I mean? Like, it's that thing of like, um, it's not, it's not a tier. It's not like this person was my number one best friend. This person was my number two best friend. It was just like, are you a friend or are you about, are you in this upper echelon? And are we close in those ways? Can I text you whenever I feel like it? Do I ever second guess our relationship or what you're saying to me? And all of that, like all of that goes into it. So anyway, um, it's not that people can't relate to people differently. It's not that relationships can't evolve. The thing is, it would actually have been fine if Ned was like, hey, I can no longer be in this relationship. And we don't know what they were doing. We don't know if he did do that and they were in an open relationship, but the employee part was crossing line. We don't know. We have no idea what the cheating was. We have no idea how much Ariel knew or didn't know how many conversations they had had. We have no idea if their marriage was ever on the rocks, which I'm sure when you have a ton of financial pressure on your relationship and your relationship is like providing for your family at the same time, like there's so many YouTube couples that stayed together for the brand. And you could tell they hated each other for the last year of their relationship. I think a lot of people don't like their partner (laughs) for the last year of their relationship. (laughs) Not like in a mean way. In this thing of like, once you have fallen out of that like love that really buffered a lot of their like worst or like not worst qualities. That's not nice. I don't think that anybody has like, you know what I mean? But like when you have, when, when love is no longer there to kind of, um, soften the blows of, of somebody's personality who you spend a ton of time with and who you want to really feel only good things about, which is also a lot of pressure. You don't feel only good things about everybody all the time. That's natural. It's part of life. It's not a big deal. Resentment is the killer of relationships. And I think it's why I think waiting so long to break up is why a lot of people deeply resent their partner by the time they do break up. And I think that's actually a big tragedy. And I think that's also an explanation. A lot of times for cheating is just people not knowing how to communicate. And I also think that cheating is this kind of burn it down thing. So let's get into it. It's been a year since I was cheated on. <laughs> Cheating's in the air recently, right? Like it's fucking Adam Levine's sex came out this week. And the, the so humbling, so humbling to see celebrity sex nobody's good at it is really the conclusion that we can come to. Some people are. It is a talent. It is a skill. But basically, like, I think Ned Ned's cheating got compared a lot to John Mulaney's because these were both men who had included the love of their wife quite a bit in their public persona. So cheating, I feel like it's just been, like, Nia Long got cheated on by, like, the Celtics fucking coach, and he was also having an affair, I guess, with, like, a subordinate, and so people were like, how can this happen? Emily Ratajkowski got cheated on by her husband, and so I feel like every time it happens, there's this big surge of, like, how could you cheat on this woman? And with Emily Ratajkowski in particular, I think there was a lot of discourse about, like, well, if Emily Ratajkowski's getting cheated on, then there's no hope for the rest of us. And I actually think that, like, what they're what they're saying on its face is um, so incorrect, but, like, dive down a little bit deeper into it. And that's actually quite true. It has nothing. Cheating has nothing to do with the person who's being cheated on. It has everything to do with the person who is in the relationship deciding to go outside of it. What's interesting about the Ned thing is that both of them were in relationships. (laughs) So this isn't like, this isn't just a question of like, well, Alex definitely knew he was married. Like, I think that's always a question of like, well, how much did the other person know? Because I think there is a, like, if you just meet somebody out at, at a bar one night and you have no idea and they're not wearing a ring and, you know, they present themselves as single, that's not your fault. That is 100% not your fault. You should feel absolutely no guilt about that. If you know they're in a relationship, but you know it's not that serious, or 
Um, I feel like in college, there was definitely a thing where guys would like misrepresent how serious they were with somebody or they would be like, oh, no, we're just hooking up. It's fine. She knows that I'm, you know, it's cool. And then the next day you'd find out that it was not cool. Um, and that was always like a whole thing because we're so predisposed to hate women. <laughs> that, that, that would always really, uh, I think, like take its toll. So <laughs> both of the people are in a relationship. I think that's why this feels extra scandalous um, because they not only did Alex like, no, she interacts with the wife. Like it's not, these are not strangers to each other. But I just want to reiterate that I just don't think that cheating has a lot to do with the person who got cheated on. I what so <laughs> yeah, let's fuck it. Let's talk about my breakup. So last year I was um, sitting at home and my partner of seven years walked in the door and said, we need to have a serious conversation about our relationship. I'm breaking up with you, which is a fantastic way to start the conversation about your breakup. Just, you know, hit him with the gut punch and then uh, follow it immediately up. And I was like, okay, sounds cool. Sounds cool. Um, I think I went dead silent and actually just stared at her. And then she confessed that she had cheated on me like three days before. <laughs> it was uh, that was actually my reaction. I went dead silent and then I started laughing a little bit, which I think is actually the most terrifying reaction I can fucking have. But it was funny. And it's funny for so many reasons. <laughs> and I it's not one of those things where I'm like, well, you have to laugh or you'll cry because I really I, I, it was funny. The way she did it, it, it ugh, it's camp almost at a certain point to just walk like what a terrible breakup speech. Um, <laughs> it remains terrible now. And um, then she wasn't nice to me afterwards. And and I think really what happened, because I said this the next morning to her, um, because we slept in the same bed the night we broke up. Uh, the the most baffling decision I made in the entire breakup. I think I, like, made, I, you know, I respect most of my decisions that I made and I understand why I made them. I do not understand why we shared a bed the night we broke up. Anyway, I left, went to a friend's house. She left, went to a friend's house. She had been at a friend's house, who I think was part of the reason that the breakup went so terribly. Um, and then we came back and like kind of, you know, talked a little bit more. But she was really mean to me that night. And I think what happened is she got herself really psyched up to be like, I think to hurt somebody that you know and love is a difficult thing to do. And so you start doing these things where you make excuses or you find all of the things you're not going to miss about them and you list them with your friends because you need to get like pumped. You know what I mean? And I think that that is like the wrong way to approach a breakup. I think it's okay to actually just be really devastated and sad about it. Um, But basically, we should have broken up before that. I knew we should have been broken up before that. So like, here's the dirty little secret of my breakup is that I was actually planning to break up with her. So it's like extra funny that she cheated on me and like really fucked that part up for it. Because so basically, we'd both been on unemployment since like most most of the beginning of COVID. I had a job for like a few months and then they demanded that I come back to in-person and I just couldn't do it um, because it was a retail job and they didn't pay me enough and they refused to pay me more even though they knew I was valuable. They kept being like, we want to make you a manager. Of course, we can't pay you more than $15 an hour. And I was like, those two are incompatible. I also, anyway, that, that job's a whole different thing. But unemployment really came through. And so we were on unemployment and it was starting to run out. And so I started seriously looking for a job. And I just couldn't get one. There was something like I wasn't getting callbacks. I was, you know, I like had this one job interview that I thought went like, okay. And then I hung up and was just like, I did not get that. And I didn't. And that's fine. It's not, it all worked out. I did eventually get a job, but it was, it was a really scary and hard time. And I knew that I should have been breaking up with my partner, but we had been together for a long time. So our lives felt really entangled because I just, there were certain conversations that I could not imagine having. I was like, can't imagine talking about the cats. Can't imagine talking about this. 
And then when it happened, I was like, oh, this is these are just conversations and then they're over very quickly. (laughs) But basically, I was like, okay, once I find a job, I'll figure everything out because um, we lived together and I didn't think I could afford the rent for the place that we lived on my own. And so I was like, I need to figure out like how we get out of this lease, how we're going to do this. Um, But I can't think about that right now because I just need to find a job. So as soon as I find a job, I will start making plans for the breakup. And the universe listens in some very fun ways. Um, I completed my first day at the job. And then that was the night she came home and told me that we were breaking up. I'm like, thanks, universe. Thanks for looking out. It was nice not to have had to be the one to do the breaking up, I guess, ultimately. I don't think I would have handled that guilt all that well. And I think it would have been very wordy in the conversation. And I can just imagine that being very annoying. Um, But basically, I had begged throughout my relationship not to be cheated on. I know that nobody wants to be cheated on. It's like it was like a core tenant of my personality in a way that I think I reverse manifested it because there's so much energy going towards that. But I would literally say things like, just don't cheat on me. I would rather get a text message breakup. Just don't cheat on me. And what's so spooky ooky is the night that it happened. (laughs) So, yeah, let's let's give these details. Why not? Um, she went to hang out with like a new friend. I helped her get ready. I did her makeup. She went out that night. Um, I went to bed that night, not really worried. I figured that she was going to be out for a while. (laughs) And at 4.30 in the morning, I popped awake. And that doesn't happen. Um, I wake up early, but not that early without an alarm kind of thing. And it was, you know, one of those things where I was like, why am I awake? I guess I'll go to the bathroom. And I lean over and grab my phone. And as I'm picking up my phone, a text message from her comes through. And it just said, like, hey, I'm crashing here for the night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. Then she came home the next morning. And on the way, she bought Mexican food um, because that was, like, our hangover food. (laughs) She used my fucking card, which is somehow the most insulting detail of it all to me. Um, She used my money to buy herself (laughs) her breakfast that day. Um, We ate it. She left to go to a friend's. I left to go to a friend's. I went to that friend's and said, I feel weird about this. Um, she was weird during breakfast, like something was just off and I kind of mentioned it and then I'm like, well, anyway, and I moved on. (laughs) So I do feel like my body was like screaming at me (laughs) for like 48 hours and then the mystery was solved because energy is very real. Um, (laughs) so I feel, and it's this thing where like, it sucks because it ended in such a weird way where I felt very betrayed because I had just asked for that not to happen so many times. And we had had conversations and all of that stuff. And so it really did feel like very personal in a different way. It felt, I really felt like she was like, where's the kill switch for this relationship so that it's done and there's no doubt that we're not gonna get you know what I mean like as soon as she told me it really felt like it was I I don't like using like losing a limb terminology because it just feels like there are people who don't have an arm but it feels like there was like an arm was chopped off but then she like cauterized the wound right away so like no guilt got in so I don't feel guilty about my breakup and that is that was really shocking and jarring for me and something that I actually think allowed me to recover from it pretty quickly and then I was able to use that experience to like look through the prism of shame that I perceive life through and go like okay where's the actual guilt and where's the not guilt and what was your fault and what wasn't your fault because for most of the stuff I feel guilty about it was a literal child um so it's, it's um you know that's I I think like shame is shame sticks you in a certain place. Guilt can be a motivator, but rarely. 
Um, and shame is really only beneficial when it comes to like positively changing someone's behavior in order to be accepted. And like that can also be weaponized very easily. So it's like not like shame is like the last tool in your tool belt you have. But I do think that men shaming each other over misogyny is one of the only ways that misogyny will eradicate itself from the world. And also women unlearning all of the things that we've learned because we are all raised in misogyny. Um, so how does this really <laughs> cheating, cheating? Um, oh, people like, I think with breakups, a lot of delay goes into it because it's a really big deal. And I don't know that my ex was thinking about breaking up with me for like a long time before it happened. Or if it just like, um, I said something I kind of was trying to, I was being very me. And I was like telling her like why she cheated on me the, the day after she told me. And then she said like, well, that's not it. And then I looked at her and said, are you seriously going to try to explain to me why you cheated on me right now? And then she shut the fuck up. So, um, I don't know all of the reasons and my olive branches have been received. And then I feel like they've been used to like turn around and like, like poke me in the back a little bit. So um, not great. Uh, we're it, It's a bummer because I really felt like we could have been friends because I was willing to forgive because I think like I, I would have been a lot more upset had I still had both feet in the relationship. But it's not the same when you know that it's not right. Um, it's just like a shitty way for it to have ended because we could have ended really cordially. But with... <laughs> With cheating on your wife in public, when you've made your relationship public, you're dealing with a very different thing. And the details of cheating and the, oh, that's what I was talking about. It's never the person's fault um, to absolve myself of any guilt. But like, there's nothing in terms of, okay, so when I was going through the breakup, there were a few things that kept coming up that I was like, yes, this is a core tenet of my beliefs. And I've now sat with them for a year and I they remain true to me. One, there is no such thing as closure. And I mean that as no one else can grant you closure. You have to just recover. Um, you don't have to forgive and forget. You don't have to forgive. You can just forget. You can forgive and think about it, whatever it is. But closure does not come from the other person because there's nothing that somebody can say that's going to grant you. You have to grant yourself the serenity, basically, um, to use AA language. But it's just like it's that thing of like there's not there's no conversation that can make me feel better about what happened coming from the other person because feeling sorry about it doesn't really change the fact that it happened um explaining it doesn't change the fact that like I would have made different decisions like um I kept like I feel like a lot of people have this this thought around things when another person does something to them. I didn't have this thought about this relationship, but I've had it about other breakups, friendship breakups that I've had. I've never really had a serious relationship breakup besides that one. But I've had very serious friend breakups that hurt me a lot more um, and for a lot longer. <laughs> so um, I think there's this thing of like, but I could have never done that. So I'm just trying to understand how this person could. And the thing is, if that's true, if you could never make that decision, then there is no amount of explanation that makes your soul content. There is no explanation that's acceptable. And I think the shitty thing is about that is you just have to move on. You can't internalize it. Could I have been a better girlfriend in the last six months of my relationship that was slowly dissolving? Sure. Probably. But that doesn't excuse doing something that is objectively cruel to end the relationship, be an adult, have the conversation. 
I could have never done that. And I know that because even though I had one foot out the door and I was kind of like, you know, dragging the other one behind me because it was weighed down with this task of getting a fucking job. Um, I never thought about doing that because that's just not something I could do. And in college, I was very judgmental about cheating because my family history around cheating, which I don't want to air my parents' dirty laundry here, but just know <laughs> there's a reason it was a really big part of my personality. Um, in college, I had a friend tell me like that they felt really guilty anytime I found out that they had slept with somebody who had a boyfriend because they knew that I was judging them and they knew that they weren't a good person because of how I viewed cheating as such a serious thing. And it made me go like, oh my God, no, it's so different. It's so different. It has not, it is not the same level at all to like have sex with someone who has a boyfriend and like maybe they've been together for like three or four months. It's like not the same thing at all. And again, kids make everything way less fun. I think if kids are involved, huge fucking nightmare. Don't do it. These kids can now Google their dad and see this. And that's just, I said that earlier, but it's just such, I think we don't think about like things like that. You know what I mean? Um, nobody wants to be the main character on Twitter. And yesterday it was Ned. Um, but yeah. Uh, so why do I, th- <laughs> this is going to be longer than I intended it to be. Um, okay. <laughs> but we're, we're going to go, we're going to go ahead anyway. Um, because I think there is just a lot to say on the subject. So why is this hitting so hard? How did he become the main character of Twitter yesterday? First of all, Try Guys brand, it's friendship. So the timeline of how it was confirmed is basically it was speculated about for like seven or eight hours. And then Ned dropped an apology on Instagram, basically saying, Ariel and I are going to focus on our family. Please respect our privacy. Ariel posts a post saying, please respect our family's privacy. And then the Try Guys post a Twitter post saying Ned Fulmer is no longer a part of the Try Guys. After a thorough internal investigation, um, we do not see a path forward together. Fascinating because he is one fourth co-owner. It wouldn't surprise me if he had slightly more than a fourth because they originally used his house as the place that they filmed out of like his first house, like starter home vibes uh, in California. They use that house to like film out of. And he also was having a baby during like the launch of the channel. So I just think that like logistically, I'm curious if it's like an even split between the four guys or if like some people put money in who had money to put in. Um, so, but the brand is friendship. The brand is watch these four dudes who get along and have fun do shit together. And so people really believed, I think that all four of these dudes really loved each other and loved hanging out with each other because friendship online is always going to be the most monetizable. People think it's relationships and uh, you could say actually that it's family, but I hope that family vlogging gets eradicated from the fucking internet. Um, but I do think friendships are actually the most monetizable. When you look at like the people who have risen to the top, like that's what team 10 was using. Jake used fake baity relationships to get people involved, but like the real, the magic of team 10, the, the music video that they all made, it's, it's the friendship parts. Danny Gonzalez and Drew Gooden, the original golden trio of Mamrie and Hannah Hart and Grace Helbig, like who have all gone on to like very different trajectories from that. And I also cannot imagine being like the most relevant person on the internet and then just not being relevant anymore. I imagine that's like so fucking weird. Like, can you imagine, like just, just for a second, picture logging into the internet, like for like a year straight of your life. And every single time you upload a video, you get a million views and hundreds of thousands of comments. And you just, you know that a bunch of eyeballs are on you. And then a few years later, 
you're uploading similar fucking content and you're only getting like 5,000 views on it. Weird. Um, I, I don't know what Grace Helbig is doing online anymore, by the way. That was mostly about Hannah Hart, that like relevancy thing. But like Grace Helbig will still upload like hello fresh cooking videos. And I'm like, how long did you get locked into that contract for? Or do they still make you enough money that it's worth it? Questions I have. Um, so why it's hitting so hard on the internet is the, the Try Guys brand is friendship and relationships because again, they've brought their, they've brought their wives and girlfriends into this like other sector, like under the Try umbrella, there's now so many things going on. They all have podcasts. They all have these separate like challenges and things like that. Ned and Ariel have a cookbook together. They have a Target collab together. Like this is not just the Try Guys brand. This is like Ned and Ariel as part of that Try family kind of thing. His personal brand was Mary Dudu Loves His Wife. So there's there's the obvious one there. I think also that cultural impact of that BuzzFeed era has still fascinated people who were involved in it because there's still gossip coming out. People who got really famous during that time, like Sophia Nygaard is another ex-BuzzFeeder who I think really struggled to find her place on the internet. And then, okay, just let me go on this little extra little rant about YouTube. So Sophia Nygaard like had a really hard time online after a little while. And she left the internet for like a few months and then posted a thing basically being like, people were making fun of stuff that I couldn't fix. And then I became fixated on it during um, filming. And that made it really, really hard. So I left the internet and I'm recovering and I'm leaving LA. And now she lives with her boyfriend who she's like, her husband who she's been like with for basically her entire YouTube channel. But the real reason Sorry, not to say the real reason, but like one of the things that actually was the catalyst for her stopping uploading was the downfall of Shane Dawson because the downfall of Shane Dawson reverberated through so many corners of the internet. It is why Jenna Marbles is no longer online. These people did not just suddenly wake up and have mean, more mean comments than they did the day before. People were begging them to say something about their friendship with someone who was being outed as a very, very toxic person. And here's the thing about accountability. I don't think that a lot of times so there's a thing where it's easier to forgive the abuser than the people who knew about the abuse and continued to allow it to happen. That's like a, that's a phenomenon within um, trauma stuff because I think it's a bigger betrayal because it's almost like the abuser, you can monster, you can either like see where their brain is or whatever, but like all of these other people were not being controlled by them, could have helped. Like it's a much, it feels like a bigger betrayal than the abuse itself somehow, which doesn't, you know, psychologically, I, I can't explain that and break that down, but like just, you know, whatever your vibe is from that statement, go with it. But like, so Sophia Nygaard, um, Sophia Nygaard left the internet and I think it was also uh, in large part because there was a demand of accountability for her friendship with Shane Dawson, who was one of the only YouTubers who was invited to her wedding. And he was in the wedding video. Like, you know, it's like he's around. And it was the same thing with Jenna Marbles. The reason Jenna Marbles left is not just because she was burnt out. And I'm sure she was burnt the fuck out. And I'm sure the comments were getting to her. And Jenna Marbles was one of the most famous people in America. She had no security around her. She had really bad anxiety. That car crash, I think, really fucked with her. Like, there was a lot to it. And Jenna leaving, though, was the big catalyst, was that people were demanding accountability for a friendship that she knew she couldn't really hold herself accountable for. Like, the reason that all of her racist past stuff was getting dragged up is because people were like, well, of course she was friends with Shane Dawson. Look at what she created. So she was able to respond to this shit she had created, which I'm not trying to excuse. I'm just trying to emphasize that, like, the internet evolved so quickly that when people are like, it was 2010, it's like... Yeah, Tropic Thunder came out, like, that year. Like, this is not, like, blackface was not considered nearly as problematic as it should have been 
Um, I'm not trying to excuse it, but it just wasn't. We did not have the same cultural awareness of why putting, like, Jenna putting a heavier tan on and then imitating Nicki Minaj was minstrelsy. You know what I mean? Like, that just wasn't. We didn't have that vocab yet. So Jenna's stuff being dragged up and her being like, I'm going to leave because this is just, you know, like, I, I can't apologize for this enough. And... I, my mental health and all of that. It is totally valid for Jenna Marbles to leave the internet. I just think that it is a historic to remember it as not tied to the Shane Dawson downfall. Um, but that Buzzfeed era thing. Yeah. Why did I bring up Sophia and being canceled? <laughs> so anyway, I think that era of Buzzfeed has a lot of like mystique around it still. So a bunch of ex Buzzfeed employees start talking shit about Ned online and being like, he was never a good guy because being a good guy was his brand. That's extra fascinating. People start asking more questions and looking into that more. And people want to be the person who knew before everybody else. So people are digging through the Reddit and going like, oh, people knew about this last year. The Try Guys knew that he was cheating on his wife because apparently he was doing it on tour. And so that really changed people's perspective of the guys. And what I think is important to know is the number one rule on the internet is just don't embarrass the brand. Do not do something that makes us answer for behavior that we cannot reasonably explain. And that's the thing with cancel culture is it's not actually making people not do the behaviors. That's the fallacy that we want to believe is happening. All it's doing is making them do it in private. And so the idea that all of these guys knew that Ned was not this wife guy, and we don't know if Ariel knew, we don't know if they're in an open relationship. Again, we don't know any of these things, but it could be like, I think with open relationships and shit like that, with like, you can, you're going on tour. It is fine if you fuck around, but do not let anybody find out about it. Do not embarrass me. Do not make me answer questions. Can totally, th that would make absolute sense to me. It makes total sense to me too, that the Try Guys could be fucking like, like in seething hatred with Ned for years about hypocrisy and not be able to do anything about it because their brand is being friends. <laughs> and like, you can't lose one try. Like I, let's get into conjecture zone. I don't know how they're going to move forward. And I'm really curious. I think they were also trying to hold off this scandal as long as they fucking could because they've got a Food Network show airing. And the Food Network, once again, strikes out with YouTube brand. You know, it's like they can't come back next season and just be three. Like, it's it, you know, they could, but it'd be a little odd. Um, and so there's, you know, they changed their Instagram bio and now there's only three hearts. They took out Ned's color. They're going to have to take Ned's color out of all their merch because their whole thing was that there were four of them. I don't think they'll recast a permanent Try Guy for a few reasons. One, I think that person would just be subject to incredible amounts of hatred and comparison, and that's not fair to do to somebody. I do think that their brand for a long time has suffered from being three white guys because it's like all of the diversity has fallen on Eugene's shoulders, especially because all of the other three guys are, as far as we know, het and cis. And so it's just been this, it, it, I don't think it, the diverse, the lack of diversity on the team has become more and more glaring as we want more diversity and demand representation for more people in these kinds of things. Because, like, really, there's three white dudes. Like, how different are the perspectives they're giving any given situation? And so I think there is there is an opportunity for them to diversify the main cast. But I also think that, like, how do you do that without tokenizing at this point? And I think it's better, honestly, if they kind of have a rotating cast of people. I think that would be more interesting. I think they have different dynamics with different people. I think it would be great, actually, to get more women regularly participating on the show. I think, like, they often have cameos. Like, they're not, they, you know, the, the core four have just always been dudes. And so, like, having a different 
having a different person permanently there also is limiting eventually. So I don't know if they'll just try to be like a core three, a trio. There's a lot of like, you know, try TRI guys going on. You know, it's that thing of like, if that Reddit post is true, where the person saw Ned being sloppy and Ned was hitting on their friend all night and trying to get them to come to the next show tour in another city so that he could continue hooking up with this person. And allegedly, this was written, you know, over a year ago. So this person's not looking just for clout um, from the situation coming out today, which I think is just like a like an important thing to point out. Um, apparently, you know, they turned to Keith and they said, is he always this sloppy? And Keith said, Keith kind of rolled his eyes and, you know, said, yeah. Um, and so it's not that this is the first time he was cheating, potentially, because, again, we don't fully know if it's fucking cheating or what's going on. But it is the first time he was caught. And that's unacceptable. And that's why he's being removed. I also think that the subordinate opening them up to a financial issue is um, a big part of it as well. And it's it's that's, again, like, this is an actual company. There is There's a lot of jobs on the line here. There are a lot of careers being made at this company. I think there are minor characters that have been there for a while that they could bump up to like full-time cast but I don't know that they're going to because I think that that would also create like a weird competition amongst the office um I'm really curious how much AdSense they made yesterday because I'm sure dozens of people are going back through those videos I think we're gonna see a lot of compilations but I also think that this is like a deeply sad thing I think it's like there's a lot to say about it and it's interesting and the business repercussions are gonna be really uh noticed I think um, because th- what's the first video you drop? And as I was saying to my friend Lucy yesterday, I was like, I want the documentary. I want, you know, all four of them, so- all four of them, three of them solemnly sitting down and adjusting their mic and then like a smash cut to the title screen. That's like the try guys try breaking up. Like it's, I, I really want, um, a full explanation. I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think we're owed it. I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, the next podcast is going to be so juicy. I think these guys are friends with Ariel and they don't want to embarrass her. You know, like, I think that that is a really big part of it is just like, I, no matter how personally betrayed they feel, there is like, like there's a difference between a business and, and a family. I don't, they, you know, Ned and Ariel seem to be making statements that imply they're going to try to figure shit out. I'm sure they've been trying to figure shit out for the last month. I think the Try Guys definitely didn't want this. I don't know. So I'm, so the thing with the leak, let's just speculate wildly. The thing with the leak is like the, the leak is the smartest way to go. Get the internet speculating, get the internet mad at Ned and then drop that you're good guys who did get rid of him. I think like as soon as, as soon as it got found out, because allegedly it got found out at the beginning of September, they took action right away to kind of quiet, quiet quit Ned, quiet fire Ned. Um, I think they've been doing an internal review. I think they did suspend operations kind of vibes, but I think a lot of what's going to happen moving forward is not going to disclose a lot of what happened. One, because of legal issues, because it involved sex, because it involved a relationship. Um, There's just so much that could be said that would fuck with lawsuit level HR stuff like HR stuff is very serious and people don't fuck around with it and apparently they used to make jokes in their videos about not having real HR and that's a fucking problem and I think fun workplaces are 
really dangerous. And I think that's why, like, I will never work for a WeWork-based company again. I think tech is eroding so much of it. I think quiet quitting is great because you shouldn't actually give your boss your cell phone number. That's your cell phone number. Like, people used to screen their... You know what I mean? Like, you're not... I'm not available all the time. I do put my phone on Do Not Disturb. And that has been so helpful. Just quick... Let's just quickly check... Not having Instagram is so helpful for my brain. Oh my God, I can't tell you how helpful it is for my brain. Um, not having TikTok, also super helpful for my brain. Have I watched a few more YouTube shorts than I would have otherwise? Absolutely. But like, I do not get upset every single day anymore about something I saw online. Do I still use Twitter? Absolutely. This is a shutting sit on Twitter. Oh my God, is there? But it's not being fed to me in the same way. And I can control my feed really easily and... I don't miss TikTok at all. There are definitely things that I learned on TikTok. There are certain people I followed. Like, if you're still on TikTok, I recommend the follow of Domestic Blisters. I think she's really good. I think Crutches and Spice is incredible. I follow Imani on, um, I follow her on uh, fucking Twitter, so I don't miss her at all. I see all of her content. Um, I think she's one of just the most effective communicators I've ever watched, and particularly her stuff um, where she really goes deep dives into disability and ableism and how it shows up. She just is a very like grounded person in how she speaks about all of it in a way that um, is really, really illuminating how poorly a lot of stuff is communicated about. So... Uh, really recommend her as a follow as well. But I just think that like, it's been so good to not have either of those. And I think I'll continue to kind of like wind back my social media use. It's funny because I'm like, my screen time is down, but it's not. I got an iPad, but I will say on the iPad, I've actually been a lot more productive. I really like the scribble feature. If you're somebody who likes to handwrite, can't recommend an Apple pencil enough. It's so satisfying. I haven't gotten like a paper like cover because they're like 40 bucks for two of them. And I know I'm going to fuck up the first installation. I do not want to spend 40 bucks and be upset about the $20 I've wasted. So I'm just getting used to it. I'm seeing if I actually do use it for notes and stuff. I used it to do to make notes for this stuff. I'm using it for French notes and I'm using it for just like outline stuff. Um, I did make myself a digital planner. Uh, so that was really fun. I'm like having fun playing around with that. But my screen time on my phone is down, which I think is really good because I use my phone the most for social media. And during work, I'm really trying to like stay concentrated. And what has helped me immensely with that is especially when I'm writing, because writing on the computer is difficult to not get distracted with. So I have been writing more on my iPad because it is easier to not get distracted with the iPad because uh, you can have two programs running, but it's just not the same. So that has been really helpful. Uh, but the other thing I do is hide my bookmark bar. So if you're somebody who uses the internet really chronically and can't not have a bookmark bar, um, you can hide it during the day. And that is very helpful. Um, I have also been trying to find like writing apps and things like that, that do take up my whole screen or allow me to kind of go into like a Zen mode. Um, and I also bought matcha color keycaps for my keyboard. So I am in love with my keyboard. I love it so much. Can't talk about mechanical keyboards enough um, when my sister came to visit, because my sister came to visit on my birthday. Um, she used my keyboard and was like, oh, I get it now, because it's so loud and she hears it on Zoom every day. Um, so it uh, it's very fun. I think it's very fun to have a keyboard. Um, I recommend it if you're looking for a fun way to spice up your tech. Um, and then you can get new keycaps and then it feels like you're getting a new keyboard for the low, low cost of $20. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, that's all I have to say about Night in the Dragons. <laughs> this went a lot of places. I feel like, yeah, 
uh, the internet's a fascinating place. We are going to see more of this dynamic happen as the internet continues to age and people who have brands like this continue to have partnerships. I think like there was a lot early on. We saw the dissolution of Team 10. We've seen the dissolution of the Vlog Squad in certain ways. Like, um, you know, five awesome guys. The fucking like original Alex Day, Alex, yeah, Alex Day, Charlie, uh, Charlie is so cool. Like, like that group of dudes, like there were collab channels very early on on YouTube. So we've seen a lot of desolation of YouTube relationships on YouTube, but I think this is really one of the first major business relationships that we've seen. And I think that presents a whole new era of, um, how people are going to interpret, talk about and discuss online and share their opinions about things. And I also think that um, nobody should make their brand themselves. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. Um, We need tastemakers to come back instead of influencers because influencers are not tastemakers. Influencers are just secret advertising, um, like surreptitious advertisements in human form, basically. It's like, how much can you sell your soul for? And it's like, oh, 50,000 a post will do it. Um, but these people, that's not taste, you know, if you're not actually using that shampoo, if you use a different shampoo, but you're trying to sell me that shampoo, that's not taste. Tell me what music you like quickly and without trying to impress me. But now everything that we consume, we consume basically through like this weird voyeuristic lens of someone else where it's like, will this person think it's cool that I watched this? Will this person think I'm interesting? How, what, what are your top five favorite bands? Great. Now what are your top five favorite bands actually? Like, I was thinking the other day, like, I'm trying to rebuild my music library slowly because I just let my music library completely go because I was dating somebody for a very long time who made me feel like I was, uh, had bad taste in music. And so the solution to that was just to stop listening to music and then she'd think I was really cool, right? Um, and so my friend bought me some, like, pop albums and, like, I'm really trying to build my pop record collection because, like, I love collecting records and stuff, but I don't have a lot of my actual favorite albums because I was embarrassed to have them, even though Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion is not something I should be embarrassed to have. It should have been something that I had the fucking first day it came out. Um, one of my favorite albums of all time, I do not need to be embarrassed. I do not need to actually have like a critical analysis of the fact that I think Bruno Mars's first album is one of the best pop albums of all time. Pop is great. And it's only derided because it's popular and girls like it. Um, because we hate women, but they are the cultural tastemakers. So you can see how we get into a dilemma there. Misogyny is so fun and it robs everybody of joy. But basically, um, I've been trying to rebuild my musical. Where did that go? trying to rebuild my music library and I realized that I wanted a bunch of original Broadway casts and then I was like oh yeah I haven't listened to Broadway in a while oh I wonder where that is and I think it's hard when everything that you consume is being consumed so that you can be the type of person who consumes it like I was at a comedy show the other night and they were trying to guess what the audience's like favorite show was and when we left my friend and I were talking about how like you could tell that the comedians kept coming out on stage and being like yeah I'm gonna try this too And the audience really wanted to be known. I think we wanted to be seen. I think they, you know, everybody wants them to mention the show that you're like, yeah, I do watch that show. And that does say something about my personality that I am a secession girl. Um, And I think that it's bad. And so we're not consuming things critically. Um, But also algorithms are feeding us things that we think we like. And so prediction, prediction coming right here. The fandom is going to have a big old split soon because the younger generation does not like Archive of Our Own. And Archive of Our Own is the best thing to ever happen to fan fiction. Um, try finding good fanfic on LiveJournal. Um, it was difficult. You had to like learn how to use the internet in order to use old message boards. 
I still don't fully know how to read a thread. I feel like anything I ever read on those fucking websites, I was always like, I'm missing nine chapters, but we're just going to plow ahead anyway, because I cannot scroll back up through this 9,000 comment chain to try to find things. I didn't know how it worked. It's clearly not super effective. Um, But basically, the younger generation does not like that Archive of Our Own is something that you have to explore on your own or look for like fic rec lists and things like that. Um, because they're used to algorithms that feed you content. And that is the big split is like MySpace. You went to people's individual MySpace. There was like that bulletin board, but nobody really used it. Facebook, you used to go to people's Facebook. The algorithm is now spoiling people. But the other scary thing is I think you should consume things that you don't like. You don't have to finish them, but you should start them in order to be like, oh, wait, no, 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 I don't like this. Um, Because that helps you illuminate why you do like the things that you do like. Like it's you do have to sometimes, like in college, I took a conservatism class because I wanted to understand conservatism. And that was the best class I ever took because it taught me that, actually, no, I really don't agree with anything Dinesh D'Souza says. And I can say that emphatically because I've had to read his fucking book. Um, But it also really illuminated that a lot of the dudes I hung out with in college thought that a meritocracy was actually a great idea. And it was really weird because they were very like smart liberal dudes. But like, it's one of those things where like they thought they'd be the smart people. I'm like, meritocracy does not necessarily mean that smart people are coming in ahead. Sometimes it means that hot people come in ahead. We have a meritocracy. We just don't measure it on intelligence. Anyway. um, I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say about the Try Guys. I am fascinated to see where they go from here. I hope... Um, one day we get, you know, the, the really raw footage of all of them just talking. Like, we're not going to get a Kardashians edit of them all finding out about Tristan, um, with this. And, you know, that's fair. These are real people and not, Kardashians are real people too, but their, you know, their personhood is so separate from their, um, character they play on screen and in the tabloids so I think you know they've lost their sense of self so thoroughly in a way that I don't think the Try Guys have but you never know authenticity online is impossible um you're too far removed from what you are and you're also only showing the highlight reels because of course you are because it'd be weird if you showed the low light reels because we don't actually want to see all of you we just want to see the parts of you that you think are consumable by other people ah the internet is bad it was too much too soon and we should all delete it (laughs) But then where would I put my podcast down on? And also, yeah, thanks for listening. And I really do mean that, especially if you've made it this far. Holy shit. Um, Thank you so much. It really does mean a lot. Putting stuff out is weird and hard and scary, but I'm going to keep doing it because um, I get a big rush out of it. I really like being creative. It makes me more thoughtful. It makes me put my thoughts into a permanent format. And I think making making artifacts is really important. Um, yeah, subscribe to Smoke Show. Uh, if you haven't already and you made it this far, please subscribe. Um, you know, if you can deal with this beast of an episode, I think you can deal with any of them. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to Smoke Show at smokeshow.substack.com for the newsletter. You can subscribe to this on any of the podcasters you listen to. And if not, uh, email me or DM me or whatever and let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at Hi Claire. That's high with two I's and Claire is spelled like the name Claire is spelled with an I and an E. The place is spelled without an I, and Claire is not spelled without an E. It's actually always with an E. Um, You're thinking of the name Blair is what I always want to tell people, but I don't because I'm not an asshole. Anyway, um, I'm just an asshole in, you know, hour... (laughs) When it's an hour and 23 minutes gone by. Um, Okay, I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. I hope you all have a great uh, day and week, and yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.